You're listening to audio from Embassy Church. We exist to advance the message and ministry of Jesus in the city of Bloomington, on the campus of IU, and to the ends of the earth. See, my name is Chris Cook. I'm the lead pastor here. Like Maria said, if you're a guest, join us for the first time, first time in a long time. Super glad you're here. Um, we are uh, jumping back into our confirmed series. The last couple weeks, uh, we've had some guest preachers up here. Uh, when we do that, I usually allow them to do standalone sermons, uh, right? I just kind of say, take your best and, and your brightest sermon, dust it off, if you will, and, and preach it. Um, that kind of gives uh, uh, two things. One, it gives me a break, uh, which is great. Um, allows me to focus on some other things here at MC um, that the church plant needs me to focus on. Uh, but two, it kind of gives you a break, a break from the sermon series, uh, confirmed, but it gives you a break maybe from me, uh, which is a good thing, right? Um, and just hearing uh, different, just godly uh, men get up here and preach the word to you with different gifts. Uh, so hopefully you were encouraged uh, by the last couple of weeks if you were here. Uh, and if you missed those, you can find them on our website at mcbtime.org or wherever you get your podcasts. But we're going to jump back into the Confirmed series. So if you have a Bible, uh, we're going to be in the book of John, chapter 6. Uh, I would encourage you to always bring your Bible. Um, if not here, where, right? So uh, bring your Bible uh, here as we gather uh, as the church on Sundays. If you're new to the Bible, uh, the Bible's foreign, not familiar to you, go ahead and download a Bible app on your phone um, so you can follow along with me. We'll always open up the Bible. Um, I want you to hear what God has to say about things, not what I have to say about things. So uh, that is something you can always expect here at Embassy. So we'll be in John chapter 6. Again, we're, we're looking at this idea of, of confirmed uh, in this series as we're looking through the gospel of John, uh, one of Jesus' closest friends and followers, uh, and some of the most compelling stories that he compiled um, to, uh, to help us understand who Jesus is, right? Um, things that Jesus did, things that Jesus said that give us actual confirmation that he is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, uh, and in that confirmation that, that we can have life uh, in his name, all right? That's John's intention as he states in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 of his gospel. And so I've been asking the question week in and week out to you, uh, how many stories do you have to hear, right? How many stories do you have to hear so that you can have confirmation deep in your heart that Jesus is really who he says he is, right? And if you're a Christian, right, we, we need confirmation in a sense uh, over and over again, confirmation in what you've already believed, so you can believe it more and more, right? Because life's hard, right? And difficult and trying, as we're going to see in our text this morning. And man, we just, we need a, a clearer picture of Jesus each and every week. And so that's what we're doing here this morning. If you're maybe not a Christian, but you're curious, maybe you're considering, uh, maybe you have very legitimate intellectual uh, hurdles, experiential hurdles, how many more stories do you need to hear to go, man, okay, yeah, that Jesus really is God, and I really believe what he said. I really believe what he did. That's my hope for us this morning as we open up, look at a new story in John 6, that you'd have more and more confirmation. So um, that's where we're going to be, John 6, verses 16 through 21, John 6, 16 through 21. Now, um, Friday night, um, I had a night like no other. Um, actually, it's a night I've had a, a number of times as a parent. Parents, you'll be able to, to resonate with this as I share it. Um, but I had a night kind of like the opening chapters of the book of Job. 
like not really, but really, you know, where um, I went to bed exhausted, tired, right? Like my throat's scratchy. Um, We had the kind of silly married fight before, and then I'm not feeling good. And then like literally every hour on the hour, I got woken up by like a different child with a different suffering, you know? And I was like, what's happening? You know, like 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock. Like it just didn't stop. Like that was my... Friday night, woken up, different cry, uh, different noise. It, it wasn't even a cry, right? You just hear the, and you like, as a parent, you know, like you're horizontal in bed and then somehow like your feet are on the floor and you're running to where the sound is because you know what that sound is, right? And before you can get there, there's just throw up on like five or six of your stairs, you know, right? Um, that kind of that feeling. Um, and so, again, different kid, different cry, different issue hour after hour. It was a first couple of chapters, Job kind of night for me. Again, not really, um, but really. Um, and I just, I mean, I got my butt whooped. Like, it was just war. Like, nighttime is war as a parent sometimes, right? The, you just see the sun going down. And if you have young kids, you're just like, no, Right? <laughs> Because you know what's about to happen, okay? And so we're doing the cry it out thing because we had kiddo with double ear infection and he got used to coming to mommy and daddy's bed around 12 o'clock, no more, right? And then it was just a lot, right? And, and it made me think of, have we seen Dark Knight Rises, right? Great, great movie, right? You know the character Bane? And there's this first time where like Batman meets Bane. Do you know the scene? If you don't know the scene, you got to see the movie because it's awesome. Um, and... Batman meets Bane, all right, and Bane says this, right? He says, you were merely adopted by the dark, but I was born in it. You know, like, so as a parent, like, I was Batman. I was supposed to be the superhero that, like, embraces the dark, and, like, I felt like I was fighting Bane, and my kids were just laughing at me, right, where I was just, like, getting my butt whooped by little tiny children who were just throwing up and all these other things that I'm not going to say from stage, um, but I'm supposed to be, like, the superhero and I wasn't. I was merely adopted by the dark. I was not born in it. <laughs> so it was a painful Friday night um, for me. But um, it started to create, right, the chaos on the outside, some chaos on the inside. Right? And so I got really frustrated and then really discouraged and really angsty, if you will. And that just started to spiral into a lot of self-pity. Right? I'm, just a, I'm exhausted circumstantially because the exteriors of things that are going on that I have no control over, and then internally in my heart and in my mind, I just start spiraling. You ever been there? Ever felt that? Ever had chaos on the outside just kind of spill over to chaos on the inside? Can you relate with that feeling? What'd you do? Where'd you go? To whom did you go? Did you ever start asking the questions, where is God when we're here or when I'm here? The story we're going to look at this morning um, kind of has this guy, John, who wrote the gospel in a similar place. Um, there's chaos around, there's chaos within, and then we're going to see actually what happens when Jesus enters the scene. All right, It's a famous story. It's a few short verses. I'm going to read it for us. And we're going to draw some application. This is what John 6, 16 through 21 says. It says, When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. 
that being Jesus' followers. They got into a boat, and they started across the Sea of Capernaum. Darkness had already set in, but Jesus had not yet come to them. A high wind arose, the sea began to churn, and after they had rowed for three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. He was coming near the boat, and they were afraid, but he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were willing to take him on board, and at once the boat was at the shore where they were heading. So short story, famous story of Jesus walking on water. What does it have for us today? Now I want to call your attention back a couple weeks ago as we were in John 6. Um, we actually skipped over this little chunk, um, but we looked at uh, Jesus feeding the multitudes which is five loaves, two fish, he feeds over 5,000, okay? So we see this, this sign that John gives, um, this fourth sign in his book of seven signs. And then after that, we looked at what Jesus had to say about it, because Jesus explained what he did uh, in the synagogue after. And he, he gives this kind of divine declaration where he says, I am the bread of life. And so Jesus is pointing his hearers and us back to the Exodus account, Right? He's pointing his hearers and us back to when God delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt and he provided manna for them to sustain them in the wilderness for 40 years before they entered the promised land. Right? You have the divine declaration of I am, comes out of Exodus 3.14, the way God self-declared to Moses in the burning bush, I am that I am, and just says I am the bread of life. And so if it isn't just the context of the Passover, it's Jesus' statements that make it clear he's trying to point our attention all the way back to the Exodus account. And the sign isn't just a random sign of power. None of these signs are just random signs of power. None of these sayings are just random sayings of wisdom. There's significance when you actually understand the context. So Jesus points our attention back to the Exodus account. And even here in John 6, we get another picture of that. All right, I want you to think about not just Exodus 14, but I want you to think about, uh, excuse me, Exodus uh, 16, but I want you to think about Exodus 14, right? Exodus 16, again, is this picture of God's provision for his people with manna in the wilderness, okay? I want you to remember maybe your VBS stories, if you grew up in church, blue felt board, all right, if you're of my generation, Okay, But if you go a few chapters before that in Exodus 14, you don't just see God's provision, but you see his, perfect, his protection. Because before God provides for his people, manna in the wilderness, he actually protects them from the army of the Egyptians that's coming to crush them as their backs are up to the Red Sea. And God quite literally in the most miraculous way, in the miracle of miracles throughout the Old Testament, splits the Red Sea and delivers his people. Where they walk on dry ground and as the Egyptian army follows the water crashes. And God miraculously delivers his people, again, from slavery in Egypt, rescuing them and ruining their enslavers. John, here, is sandwiching this fifth sign with the fourth sign in Jesus' I am statement, I'm the bread of life, and he's putting them together. That context is telling us we need to look back. We need to understand the Exodus account. We need to understand what Jesus is trying to say about himself as he says, I am the bread of life. I'm going to read it again, John 6, 16 through 21, and this is what I want to do. 
I want to walk us through this passage, and I'm going to invite you this morning to, in a sense, put yourself in the boat with John. Because here's what's true. The chaos that we see pictured here, the chaos we see externally, okay, the chaos we're going to see internally is something we can all relate to. And what Jesus is ultimately saying is, I'm the God that delivered the people back then, and I'll deliver you now. And that same Jesus is alive and well today, and his spirit lives within us, the church, if you're a Christian. And so it affords us hope as Christians when we face chaos, when we face difficulty, right? When we start to, to internally just feel angst and fear and spiral. We have someone we can look to that's greater than our chaos. Amen? So this morning, I want to invite you into that. I want to invite you in to putting yourself in the boat, and I want you to just kind of feel whatever, whatever it is you're probably walking through this morning that you should be feeling a little more. And my hope is as we feel it together, we can find some hope and a way forward. I'm going to read it again, John 6, 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, started across the Sea of Capernaum. Darkness had already set in, but Jesus had not yet come to them. A high wind arose, and the sea began to churn. On the sea, darkness has set in, wind picks up, and with it, waves. Now, again, thematically, throughout the Bible, okay, just like other literature, sea means chaos, okay? Man might be able to master the land, right? We can, we can walk on it, we can breathe air, but it doesn't matter how great man is, we can't master the sea, okay? So in the Bible, as well as in any ancient literature, and even in modern literature, right, the great stories of Frozen and Moana, sea is chaos, okay? And here we have chaos surrounding, all right? Consider the Genesis account. In the beginning, chaos reigns, and there was darkness and there was water until God spoke. And then there was order. He put darkness and water in its place. Consider the Exodus account, again, more applicable to where we're at in John 6. The deliverance of God's people amidst the Red Sea, where God quite literally parts the water so that his people could walk on dry ground and be, and be delivered, and he could crush the evil Egyptian army. Right? Consider the Jonah account, and I can go on and on in the Bible, but the sea is this picture of chaos, okay? Chaos surrounding. Chaos in circumstance. Have you ever been there? Are you there right now? Is someone you love there right now? Maybe it's a health complication you can't control. Maybe it's a health complication you can't even identify. Chaos. Maybe it's breast cancer. Maybe it's brain cancer. Maybe it's lung cancer. All of those are in this room right now. Maybe it's a call you receive with news of a cognitive disease showing up for the first time. It's a brain break and schizophrenia. It's early onset Parkinson's. 
all of these calls I've received recently. Maybe it's a marriage on the rocks. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your parents' marriage. Maybe it's a friend's marriage. What do you do when there's just chaos around? Right? When you're in the dark seas and storms of life. Where do you go? To whom do you go? Maybe it's just the broader world where ideological wars are raging and you just can't control it, and it seems so crushing, so overwhelming, and you just get exhausted when you scroll. Maybe it's a country where political tribalism is rising. Maybe it's a community where everybody advocates, but few listen to one another. There's just chaos that surrounds. On the sea, darkness is set in, wind picks up, and with it, the waves and there's circumstances you can't control. If you're a note taker, this is what I want you to do right now. I want you to name your storm. What is going on in your circumstances right now? What are you experiencing that you can't control? And maybe you write it that way. Name your storm. I'm experiencing blank. You got to name it. You got to identify it. You got to face it. That's the chaos that surrounds. What about the chaos within? What happens when that chaos that's in our circumstances starts to spill over and what's in us actually feels more uncontrollable? Look at verse 19. It says, after they had rowed three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. He was coming near the boat, and they were afraid. Now, the boys in this boat, they know how to row, right? Most of them grew up as fishermen, right? Dad's 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 dad. Like, they grew up on the water. And they faced a storm or two before, but they probably haven't faced a storm like this one, and they're doing everything within their power to get out of it, right? To find safe harbor. This is what you do when you face chaos. You just start rowing. You just start going. You just want it to be done. You want the pain to be over, the confusion to stop. And they're just looking for a safer place. And you can imagine they're tired, aren't they? Right? Three or four miles? Right? If you've ever canoed, if you've ever kayaked, if you did that at Lake Monroe on a calm day, three or four miles, you'd be wore out. We're talking about a storm. Three or four miles. You're doing whatever you can just to keep your bow pointed at the next wave so it doesn't tip you over. You're just trying to stay right side up in this storm. Can you feel it? Trying your hardest, but making no progress. You might even have friends that are pulling with you in the same direction, but you're getting nowhere, and that actually makes it worse because you just feel stuck. Or you may not have any friends pulling with you in the same direction, 
Because the chaos within that you're feeling, you don't want to share with anybody. You're actually terrified to let anybody into your boat. And so by yourself, you're just rowing through your storm, getting nowhere. This is when fear sets in. This is anxiety about what might happen. This spirals to self-pity and the woe is me's. You're exhausted, you're stuck, and the chaos surrounding crashes in and you feel like you're drowning. Ever been there? Just me? The fear, the anxiety, the worry. Again, maybe it's the storm within you. And there's actually a, a weird calm surrounding you. Again, because you haven't let anybody into this storm. So nobody knows, which almost makes it worse. Maybe it's silent suffering. You've made sure everything looks good to everyone on the outside. And you're the only one on the inside that knows you're struggling. Maybe you're in a hole financially, and you keep trying to dig yourself out, but you're only digging yourself deeper. And because of shame, you don't want anybody to know. Maybe it's secret sin that you're harboring. Maybe it's someone's sin against you. Maybe it's a habit, something that maybe started as a toehold that you gave Satan. Then he took a foothold and then it became a stronghold. And year after year after year, nothing's changed and you're just rowing and you're exhausted. Maybe it's a relationship no one knows about. There's something that just might be sinking you and you feel like you can't even cry for help because you don't want anyone to know you're in danger of drowning. Have you ever felt that? Chaos surrounding, no control, even chaos within, no control. If you're a note taker, I want you to name your sentiment. Right? Name your storm, I'm experiencing blank. Now what are you feeling? Name your sentiment, I'm feeling what? Right, because if you're anything like me, you don't even want to name the feeling. I found it better to not feel. I said that facetiously, that is not good, that's very unhealthy. Allison and I are working on that. We got chaos surrounding, we got chaos within. Let's look at the chaos calmer. Look at the back half of 19, it says, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. He was coming near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him on board, and at once the boat was at the shore where they were heading. Now we're told that the overarching feeling of this moment is fear. The disciples felt it, and Jesus tried to encourage them in it, right? Fear. I want you to kind of feel the feeling for a moment, right? Goosebump giving, hair raising, breath stealing feeling that you are not in control. This is the feeling that the disciples undoubtedly felt as they were just thrashed 
by the churning sea, the chaos surrounding. This is the feeling the disciples undoubtedly felt within as they started to think through the implications of what it might mean. And this is the key to the whole sign that John is trying to point us to. Because what I want you to see about fear is how it plays here in this circumstance. Because I don't think that the disciples were just afraid of the storm, they were afraid of Jesus. But it's a different kind of fear, and I want you to see this. Look at our text. It says, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. He was coming near the boat, and they were afraid. Right? You catch that? So they're not just afraid of, of the chaos around or the, the chaos within. They actually see a man walking on water, and it moved them to fear, and it should. I've never seen someone walk on water, nor have you, I would imagine. And if you did, it should make you weak in the knees. Because what the disciples are seeing, what they're coming face to face with is not just their mortality, they're coming face to face with divinity. You see this? I want you to, again, put yourself in the proverbial boat. I want you to think of the fear they felt because of the circumstance they were in and coming face to face with their mortality. But then that fear translated when they come face to face with divinity. Right? When they see Jesus walking on the water. What's going to give you more goosebumps? What's going to make the hair on the back of your neck stand up more? What's going to take your breath away more than struggling to swim or seeing a rescuer actually walk on the wind and waves? Like seriously, just think about it. Because the story is almost too familiar to us if we, if we grow up in or around the church. Wait, Jesus is walking on water. What does that mean? What are the implications of such an action? Well, obviously. Obviously, it's that he is divine. That he is the very son of God. In the Bible, when you see God encountered, think about Moses. Let's go back to Exodus account. Think about Moses in chapter 3. Burning bush, right? Moses hides his face because he fears looking at God. Fear, right? Think about Isaiah and Isaiah 6. Encountering God, he says, woe is me, I am undone. Fear. In the Bible, whenever someone encounters God, they encounter a messenger of God, just fear because they're coming face to face with divinity. And here the disciples see Jesus walking on water and they are afraid. And Jesus says, it is I, don't be afraid. And commentators would say, this is actually the first I am statement. It's in the form of an Exodus 3.14 statement of I am that I am. And Jesus is essentially saying, the God of Moses, I am he. The God that parted the Red Sea, I am he. The God that controlled the waters, I am he. And his disciples were terrified. This is what's so key with this, right? 
The disciples' fear of the chaos surrounding them, the disciples' fear of the chaos within them, at this moment is actually surpassed by their fear of the one who promises to calm their chaos. I want you to catch that, okay? I don't want you to miss this. Again, this is the key to the whole text. The disciples' fear of the chaos surrounding them and within them is surpassed by their fear of the chaos calmer. At this moment in this story, Jesus becomes greater than their circumstance. Don't you see that? Don't you grasp that? And the fear, it just, it, it absolutely changes. Right? Where they're just going like, I don't have any control. And then they see the one who does have all control. And this, this is the secret to walking through chaos in life as a Christian. We can't control what's going on out there. Half the time we can't even control what's going on in here. But there is a chaos calmer whom we can know and we can walk with that has control of all things. Amen? Who has control over our circumstance as dark and difficult and broken as it may seem. And he is not aloof or apart from it. He actually comes to us and wants to meet us in it. The problem is we don't often invite him in the boat. We just keep rowing, don't we? We just keep going, don't we? We don't see the Jesus that they saw. God in the flesh. The one who parted the Red Sea is now walking on the sea, and they got exactly who that was. If you're a note taker, you've named your storm. I'm experiencing. You've named your sentiment. I'm feeling. I want you to name your Savior. Who are you trusting? If you're honest, and if you're anything like me, you might need to write your own name there. If it's not Jesus, who is it? Is it you? Is it another person? Is it a political leader? Is it a group of doctors? Is it a friend? To whom do you go when life gets chaotic? To whom do you go in the midst of your storms and if it's not Jesus, why are you so unwilling to take him on board? Why are you so hesitant to invite him into the boat? Do you see who he is? Jesus, the chaos calmer. You see, again, our culture is going to encourage you to just keep rowing. Just keep rowing. Right, you're going to get out of the storm soon enough. It's going to encourage you not to invite anybody into your boat. You can handle it. Especially don't invite Jesus into your boat because the chaos, a lot of times, can be brought on by ourselves. And so there's, there's a lot of complications there. Sometimes there's shame there. It's like, I don't want to invite somebody into my boat. Then they're going to know what's going on. I definitely don't want to invite Jesus into my boat. Man, but what a miss. 
What a mess. I want you to again just think about the implications of a story like this because it's such a common story. It's such a familiar story. What you're going to be tempted to do is just go back, man, look how powerful Jesus is. Yes, that's true. But I want you to, just, I want you to get what Jesus is revealing to his disciples and what his disciples saw very clearly because it terrified them. What Jesus is saying is he's the divine maker who has made himself into human form. He has painted himself into his picture. He has written himself into his story. Right? If you think about John 1 and the Logos, who was, who in the beginning was with God, right? Who was God, who created all things, who was the creative command of God. And as he spoke, it became so. That voice, that word, that logos, that calmed the chaos in the beginning, all the way back in Genesis 1, that brought order, that brought beauty, that brought goodness, is the same divine being in John 6. Do you see that? That the God you see in Genesis 1 is the Jesus you see in John 6. That's a big Jesus. Right? That's a Jesus that is greater than our chaos. Amen? If in Genesis 1, God comes into chaos and creates order and beauty and light, and we go, whoa, a God greater than the universe? Then the multiverses, whatever is out there, greater. And Jesus is going, I am he. Then can't we, in our chaos, in our struggles, in our difficulties, in our storms of life, step back and see that Jesus is greater? Amen? And won't that give us hope in the midst of whatever it is you're walking through, that not all is lost? Amen? That you can break down, but you don't have to shut down because you have a Jesus that is greater than whatever it is you're experiencing. That is real hope. The disciples, chaos surrounding, chaos within, and they invite Jesus into their boat. And then peace. I want to close this by bringing us to a psalm. Um, this is a psalm, Psalm 77. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Um, but this is a psalm that gets it right when it comes to experiencing chaos surrounding and within. And what do you do when you do? Confidence in times of crisis. In psalm 77, you see this writer just pour their heart out. They're walking through chaos. I cry aloud to God is how it starts. Aloud to God. And he will hear me. I sought the Lord in my day of trouble. My hands were continually lifted up all night long. I refuse to be comforted. I think of God. I groan. I meditate. My spirit becomes weak. Can you relate? Have you ever been there? Do you know someone that's there? 
right now. You see, the psalmist starts off just exhausted, rowing and rowing and rowing in a storm and not knowing what to do. And he starts to ask really normal questions. Look at verse 7. Will the Lord reject forever and never show favor? Has his faithful love ceased forever? You ever ask questions like that? Woe is me kind of questions, self-pity kind of questions, sincere doubt kind of questions. Is his promise at an end for all generations? Has God forgotten to be gracious? This is what I love about the Psalms. They're just honest. Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Right, you just start to ask a lot of questions. But that's not where the psalmist stays. And this is what's so power about, powerful about Psalm 77. This is what the psalmist does in verse 11. It says, I will remember the Lord's works. Yes, I will remember your ancient wonders. I will reflect on all you have done and I will meditate on your actions. The psalmist goes back to who God is and what he has done for hope in the midst of chaos. And look what he writes in verse 16. I love this. The water saw you, God. The water saw you, it trembled. Right? That is a God that is greater than our chaos, right? Even the depths shook. The clouds poured down water. The storm clouds thundered. Your arrows flashed back and forth. The sound of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Lightning lit up the world. The earth shook and quaked. And it says this, your way went through the sea and your path through the vast water, but your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Maybe, just maybe, what you need to hear this morning, whether it's chaos surrounding or chaos within, is that Jesus is the great chaos calmer. That he is greater than whatever storm you find yourself in. So let him in the boat. Right? The, the water quaked. We have Jesus quite literally walking on water so that we don't miss it. That he's king. Even king of our chaos. And my hope is this morning that you'd find hope in that, that you would fear him more than the storms that you're in. And when you do, that you'd find peace. Let me pray for us, and we can respond. We're going to move into a time that Eric will kind of frame up, but of just creating some margin to engage with the Lord and engage with one another. Because like I said, I know there is a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of brokenness, a lot of it just exhaustion in this room and what are Sundays for if not a space for us to come and be authentic and real with other people and say hey would you row with me in my boat and together can we invite Jesus into the story into the picture pray with me Heavenly Father we love you we praise you we thank you for Jesus that he's our great chaos calmer we thank you that he is greater than any storm we can face, and I pray that we believe it with all of our hearts, that in the midst of our suffering and our struggle, that we just stop. We'd stop, we'd name the, the storm, we'd name the sentiment, and we cry out for our Savior. 
that we'd lean on him, that we'd look to him, that we'd find peace from him. And we look to him to calm the chaos around us and within. So we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the hope that he provides. And we pray that you're honored with our lives. Pray these things in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about us or to get connected, please visit embassybtown.org.